Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome aboard Stories to Keep You Up at Night, the show that ruins your childhood memories one story at a time. I'm your captain, Marco Palmieri, and serving as my first mate once again is Christina Teleska. Ahoy, Captain. I mentioned ruining people's childhoods because a couple of episodes back, we featured a heartbreaking story about anime-inspired magical girls struggling with adulthood. And this week's story is in the same wheelhouse, wouldn't you say, Christina? It's that sweet intersection between heartbreak and badassery, with a weave of existentialism. All of this has happened before, and it will happen again. I do love that line. Many years after Neverland, Wendy Darling takes on Captain Hook. Gentle listeners, this is She Tore, written by Nissi Shawl and voiced by Antonia Beamish. Wendy drove fast. She tore through the spring night like the howl of a wolf. Damp, misty air blew in through the Invicta S-type's open windows, making a mess of her normally tidy crown of braids. In the passenger seat, Tink scowled and rubbed her bare shoulders. Are you sure we shouldn't stop and take the top down? She asked sarcastically. I can still feel my wings. No time. The crossroad loomed ahead. Wendy signaled her turn, even though there was no one in sight. She wasn't going to get stopped, ticketed for an avoidable infraction. Fast and legal, that was how she handled motors on or off the racetrack. She slowed as little as possible and spun the steering wheel. Tires screeched as she sped up again, coming around the corner. Lily's note said dawn. Do you even know where we are? How long will it take to get shut up? Peter had always been rude to Tink, and Wendy was too. Politeness never made any difference in the fairy's own manners, 
Well, fuck me with a pry bar. I was only asking. And if you're in such a rush, why poke along on the ground like this when we could fly? For answer, Wendy removed one gauntleted hand from the wheel to lift the submachine gun tucked between her and the door, tilting its elegant muzzle to the windscreen. Weighs something, she said. Plus, we'll want plenty of ammo. She lowered the gun back down, point made. Never mind that flying terrified her. At a bend in the road, Wendy turned the car's nose northeastward. The fading lights of the British city of Boston disappeared from the rear view. She twisted the knob, brightening the Invictor's headlamps. One more jog to navigate. She took it at cruising speed, 40 miles per hour. Then the way ahead stretched flat and straight, a Roman rule dividing black fenlands on either side. Gradually, the faint glow of the lights of Skegness climbed up from what must be the horizon. She checked the dash's chronometer. Two hours till sunrise. They were just on time. Tink had been suspiciously quiet for far too long. Wendy spared a glance from the road and saw by the instrument panel that the fairy's blonde head drooped to the passenger seat's far side. A low snore confirmed that she slept. Effectively immortal, Tink fought off aging with the magic of dreams. When she wasn't busy stirring up trouble, she tended to drowse away like a human-sized cat. Not Wendy. She looked every bit of her 35 years. Wendy was one of those who enjoys growing up. Now she steered the Invicta through Skegness's streets, avoiding, as well as she could, the traffic caused by the market at its centre. But the car's interior was nonetheless flooded with the cries of vendors, the sweet scent of milk from grass-fed cows, the soft clop of horses hauling wagons filled with the last of the winter's root vegetables, the chatter of ice poured into tubs and barrels, the blood and salt and iodine smell of the morning's catch. A Londoner born and bred, Wendy found the village market's atmosphere strangely familiar. For how many centuries had these folk gone about their bucolic business, striking bargains in tongues rooted in the ancient shifts of tides and time, telling stories immemorial? What a stench! Tink had wakened. We'll soon be away from it. And indeed, they'd come at last to the village's outskirts. Soon, the road reduced in size, one lane only. For fear of crashing into a vehicle headed the opposite direction, Wendy couldn't urge the Invicta on with the quickness she'd anticipated. They were going to be late. Throw us a map up, Tink. The fairy gave an ill-natured sigh. I asked if you knew where we were. I do. But there may be better routes to the spot Lily's expecting us to show at. May not. The windscreen stayed stubbornly dark. A greenish glimmer in the corner of Wendy's eye proved to be nothing more than Tinks's wings half unfurling, only to settle back again into the semblance of a fashionably spangled wrap. There's a thimble in it for you. Wendy said this as carelessly as she could. Her reward spread across the screen's glass like coloured dew sparkling in an unseen sun. On one side, the map's sea shone a transparent purplish-blue. The road beneath their tyres was represented by a thin stream of crimson slanting right. A miniature mango-yellow Invicta crept upwards along it. A clear brown reminiscent of ginger beer filled the rest of the display. Thank you, 
Any footpaths? Scrawls of white appeared. Several of these tangles ended at an undeviatingly straight section of the red line along which they proceeded further up. Another remnant of the Romans, that would be. A stretch of road laid out as if drawn on the earth with a protractor. Lily's note said that they should meet precisely at that stretch's midpoint. We won't be able to drive on any of those, Wendy said. Then why'd you ask me to put them on? The paths began to vanish. No, Tink, don't, please. The road relaxed its kinks and she accelerated a touch. We'll have to walk the last anyway to keep from scaring the kidnappers off with too much noise. Walk? Not fly? You want me to walk in these? Tink pointed one limber leg toward the Invictor's roof. A delicate slipper dangled from her small pink foot. Silly girl! But the promise of a thimble had sweetened her normally acid tone of voice. Take them off then. Wendy focused on matching the map up with what she saw of the road. The straightaway's exact midpoint should be roughly a hundred metres on. But the shortest of the footpaths they needed to take started here. Wendy swung the Invicta to the shoulder, cursing softly as the sandy soil dragged them askew. An unwelcome beam of newly risen sun bounced off the chromed radiator cap. Dawn. Why couldn't it still be dark? She switched off the ignition, opened her door, grabbed the gun, and climbed free of the car seat. Scraggly, starkly backlit wild plants scratched her shins. Golden light stabbed out of the clouds in the east, dazzling her. She lifted one gloved hand to shade her eyes and could barely see back to where the plants thinned to nothing. She'd overshot her mark. Only by a bit, though. She peered in through the Invictor's open window at the fairy faking that she slept. Up and at him, Tink. Black eyes snapped open accusingly. You were supposed to thimble me awake. Sorry, other fish to fry. Wendy winced inwardly at confessing her distraction. Tink's jealousy of Lily might easily have kept her from going with Wendy on this rescue mission, if she'd been willing to admit it. To placate her, Wendy offered the fairy a helping hand out, which Tink stubbornly ignored, spreading her shining shawl-like wings and flying ostentatiously through the cranked-down window. A neat trick, Wendy had to admit, unfurling the whole of that yardage inside the car. She smiled, then pursed her lips and leaned forward to plant a thorough thimble with them on the sensitive crown of the fairy's head. Not that you needed wings to fly. Tiger Lily had no doubt assumed they'd make an aerial entrance in the darkness. If only. Heavy grey overcast obscured the rising sun. Too much visibility for flying, regardless of whether or not she had the courage. Wendy released her hold on the fairy's naked upper arm to sling on a couple of belts of ammo. Then, hefting her weapon, she trudged resolutely toward Lily's rendezvous. Three of them. Blue in the dimness, Lily's captors stood on the edge of a shallow depression in half-grassed sand. Give them credit for facing the right direction, at least. The one they'd expect her to come from. Down in the depression's centre, Tiger Lily did their best to lure the three into looking their way. Hey, you want to find out how good my pussy feels? My mouth and my ass too. 
I got a special hole for each and every one of you. Lily's normally husky voice, the only thing about them that never shifted with their shape or gender, trembled with what probably sounded to the men surrounding them like longing, more like laughter to Wendy's ears. No change in tone or register as Wendy lifted her arm and waved a signal from the surf-wet sands at the thugs' backs. Didn't these men know Lily wouldn't be here unless they wanted to be? The chains linking the shapeshifters' hands together behind their back were useless. Lily could turn to a snake and slither armlessly out of them, could be anything, become anyone, including who they appeared to be now, an exotic Red Indian woman. A favourite manifestation, waiting hopelessly to be ransomed by her rich white friends. Chilly seawater lapped against Wendy's knees. She rose to a crouch, hoping her silhouette resembled a rock's. Green glittered in the air to her left, where Tink flew in circles, speeding faster than the human eye could follow. Motioning with the gun for Lily to flatten themselves on the scrubby sand, Wendy took aim at the furthest man's back and fired. Her darling SK kicked at her heart, once, twice, then settled into an even purr as her bullets ripped into the unsuspecting kidnappers. Waiting only a moment for their screams and groans to subside, Wendy ran to Lily's side. Already, the Indian had slipped their bonds. Tough for coming. I was getting right bored. Quick hugs and thimbles to each other's cheeks were all the greetings circumstances allowed. The two headed inland. Why'd you wait for me then? Wendy asked. Seemed best to get you on site. These fellows have been thinking they're going to wreck the coastline, build a great big sewage-spewing holiday camp here. And? Wendy gave the dead bodies a brief glance as they passed between them. Not much of a threat if you ask me. Not this adventure. Maybe next time they'd have a bit more success. Ah, but how'd they know I was spying on them like? How'd they come to try kidnapping me? Someone smarts behind this one. Someone like... Suddenly, Wendy realised there was an important absence in the air. Look at the business card they give me when they thought I was an investor. Lily pulled a white pasteboard rectangle from an obscure pocket and thrust it at Wendy. But Wendy barely noticed it. She whirled on her heels, searching wildly for even the faintest gleam of Tink's green glow. What? Where'd she go? Guilt at robbing Peter of the fairy's fidelity, such as it was, pricked at Wendy's mind like midge bites. Where's Tink? A question no sooner asked than answered. A patch of jade-coloured light shimmered above the water's edge, which was nearer now than before with the tide coming in. Wendy reversed course. Lily followed. Wendy wondered if the shapeshifter's presence would exacerbate Tink's moodiness, if moodiness was the problem. She slowed to consider that. The fairy had a way of becoming scarce when trouble threatened. See? The pasteboard rectangle reappeared. Wendy took it and peered at it, but the early gloom defeated her attempt at reading the card's tiny type on the go. It's for Smee and Associates, Lily explained. Hook! Right, and if he's involved, no telling what this story is really about. Don't you want to know? But they'd reached the first curling breakers. Wendy waded out. Tink's shining had drifted farther away, 
or perhaps stayed stationary while the tide rose. So swiftly, though? Sand and salt water dragged at her custom cordovans. She should have shed them. She hesitated, and her feet sank deeper. The swirl of the sea on her calves felt like cold hands. Because it was cold hands. Hands pale as foam emerged from the wine-dark comas to wrap around her legs and tug at her twill skirt. Muscular arms embraced her hips and waist and clasped her to broad and pearl-like bosoms. Wendy fought, but the mermaids were too many. Waves filled her mouth when she opened it to cry for Lily's help. The scene was all too reminiscent, though the pain a great deal less. As Wendy was forced beneath the surging surface of the icy April ocean, she pressed her lips tight again, but kept her eyes angrily open, glaring into the mermaid's mad grins. She breathed out, then in, choking. Black defeat swallowed her. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Wendy woke puking and shivering. A puddle of bile tilted and ran back and forth as the smooth boards beneath her face rocked. So it wasn't just nausea making everything move about. She must be aboard a ship. The flame in the lantern on the table where her head lay burnt upright, though the candlestick itself heaved about under it mercilessly. Ah! Awake enough to vomit, I see. Very good. That rich, dark baritone, like licorice soaked in honey, belonged, she was sure, to only one man. The captain of the Jolly Roger. Wendy attempted to push herself upright so she could see him and verify that. Her arms wouldn't obey her. She shoved with her neck and shoulders. Shall I help you? A velveted steel grip closed on her collarbone and hauled her torso up against a knobbly wooden chairback. Nicer, don't you think? A metallic click and the grip released her. Wendy's head swam with that small change in altitude. Her vision blurred, then cleared, and she was looking at the long, once handsome countenance of Captain James Hook. Olive skin, now sadly etched with time, provided piquant contrast to the delicate cornflower blue of his eyes. Glossy corkscrews of an impossible sootiness spilled from beneath a many-feathered cavalier's hat. Do you dye your moustaches as well? Hook tittered. Splendid. I knew I could count on you to recover quickly. He smiled, a sickeningly insincere smile. Smee, attend us. Wendy heard the rattle and bang of an opening and shutting door. Again she tried to move, attempting to twist toward the sound. Now she saw the problem. Thick ropes, dirty with tar, had been wound around her tightly. At least, unlike her clothing, they were dry. Her bandoliers of ammunition were gone. Her SK, likewise. Cap'n? A woman's voice? A child's? The Smee Wendy knew was neither. But there was no way to turn around, no telling who spoke behind her. Swab the table clean. Then prepare and serve a light nuncheon. 
Champagne, lobster, asparagus, and cream puffs. For how many? Two, of course. Can the presence of our guests have escaped your notice? No, Captain. No. And yet, and still, you hesitate. Go. Scampering steps sounded. Then, once more, the noises of the door's operation. Had Hook left the cabin as well as this new Smee, was Wendy alone? Alone she might plot her escape. The touch of velvet on the back of her neck snuffed out that hope. My pretty dear, I apologize for the lack of ebullient warmth in your welcome here. Though you've saved me the trouble of executing my least competent underlings, I neglected to thank you as perhaps I should have. Gossip has informed me of your quarrel with Pan, but I'm hesitant to put credence in mere rumor. Will you forgive me? We split up, it's true. The chair was gimbled. Hook spun her around to face him. You swear so? Solemnly. Pirates put great faith in pledges and oaths, much like the little boys who pretended to be them. Are you going to untie me then? That slimy smile. The flash of a long sword drawn and lifted to the cabin's low ceiling. This will be faster. She shut her eyes. She couldn't help it. A breeze stirred the loosened tendrils of her brown braids. Another. A third. There. Raise your arms. The rope's tight coils fell away, except where they stuck stubbornly to Wendy's wet skirt and tunic. Thank you. Of course. I'd advise you to immediately remove those damp things, but for the danger of misconstruction. She shuddered or shivered, or did both. Yes, that would be bad. Hook was nothing like her type. Most distressing, the pirate replied calmly. Instead, I offer you this nice, warm dressing robe. Reaching to his right with his velvet-covered prosthetic, Hook removed a heavy garment of quilted maroon silk from a wooden peg. Standing creakily, she slipped it on and tied its sash. And as we have a while to wait, perhaps, before the refreshments I've ordered arrive, for Smee is new to the crew and not yet as efficient as one could wish, perhaps you'll allow me to explain to you a bit of what I'm about. Your father is a banker, is he not? Champagne was perhaps not the most sovereign remedy for nausea provoked by near drowning. Sipping from her never-empty glass, however, Wendy allowed its charms. Like angel hair or some ethereal form of excelsior, it cradled her muzzy thoughts, protecting them from damaging each other without crowding them out of her head. For a modest sum, I can guarantee you'll be recognized in our initial round of construction and for ages to come. A street name, the name of a building, or for a higher contribution, We'll give you a more substantial form of commemoration, such as a statue, Hook said. Later, when we get around to hiring strolling entertainers and booking acts into the theatre. Theatre? Certainly. Some days it will rain. This is England, after all, and our holiday-goers must be amused, or they'll leave. We should have a cinema as well, though not, I think, a library. Too bookish. Perhaps some sort of Indoor game center. Dipping a quill pulled out of his hatband into a dish of chocolate sauce, the pirate marked a square on the map pinned to the cabin wall. 
About there, he nodded. Yes. But as I was saying, when all that's underway, we'll naturally expect you, as one of the principals, to exercise a bit of discretion as to who fills your part. Actually collaborating on the show itself would require further financial involvement. But I'm sure you'll want to take the opportunity, won't you? There was a long pause, the first, really, since Hook's disquisition had begun, unless Smee's silent interruptions when bearing in trays of food counted. Evidently, it was time in the programme for Wendy to assent to helping Hook with his scheme. Instead, she asked, What's in it for the mermaids? More bathers, Hook answered promptly. They are particularly partial to adolescent boys. I promised them plenty. But don't they know? Wendy was at a loss to describe the ruination she felt sure Hook's unnecessary plans would result in. They'd affect not only the seaside, but all the country for miles beyond. The ancient markets would fail for lack of custom. Farmers and goose girls and their ilk would disappear. In their stead, thousands of strangers would descend on Skegness's environs, bringing with them their loud motors, their stinking tons of refuse, their demands for fresh water, food, petrol, and who knew what else. All this was to transpire under her aegis, watched over by her distorted likenesses. This was nothing like true immortality. Hook mistook her speechlessness for disbelief. Mermaids are notoriously bubble-headed, he said. Fairies with tails rather than wings. At this, Wendy kept her counsel, though inwardly she shook her head. Creatures born to magic could be called venal, perhaps, but never stupid. Look how Tink disappeared when the action was about to start. And where was she now? And Lily? What had happened to them? The door opened a crack, then a little wider, wide enough for Smee to squeeze in. Without a word, he began gathering their used crockery in the remnants of their feast. Hook protested the removal of the shell-shaped serving dish of pastries. Leave that! No, no, I've not finished! And bring us some port and suitable glasses. No, the champagne stays. Do you understand me? Don't mumble. No longer high and piping, but hoarse and low, the servant's ascent came clear enough to gladden Wendy's quailing heart. It was Lily's voice. No surprise then, when on Smee's return, the cabin's door remained open behind him. Though the faint green tinting the shadow it threw was another matter. Tink had returned. A happy ending must be in sight. Put the glasses there. You may pour, Hook instructed. With seeming clumsiness, the shapeshifter spilled a gout of deeply crimson wine, creating an enormous stain on the table's white cloth. Fool! I warrant you'd foul up so simple a task as walking the plank. Shall we discover if tis so? Smee cowered back toward the doorway, shaking his dirty-looking hair, lips and beardless jaw moving wordlessly in apparent terror. Well, take care of this mess you've made first, then we shall see. The shapeshifter left and returned again. Too soon? Carrying a basin of steaming soapy water. They promptly 
tripped over absolutely nothing, and dropped it. More swearing from Hook. Exeunt, Lily. With their next entrance, they introduced a wooden pail, from which a pair of long rods protruded, a mop handle, and a familiar length of gunmetal. Would her captor notice it? Hook's eyes narrowed. Smee slipped in the water and fell, spattering suds on the pirate's satin brocade breeches. While rising and fending off Hook's fists, they placed the pail near enough for Wendy to retrieve her lovely KP from it. She raised and aimed it. Hook froze in the midst of a roundhouse swing, his olive complexion paled to a yellowish ecru. No, please! Was it possible Peter had neglected to inform the pirate captain of the life cycles natural to Neverland's inhabitants? It would be very like him to forget. To die will be an awfully big adventure, sneered a glint of emeralds from the corner by the door. Tink grew to full size and spat a gob of foaming saliva at the pirate's polished boots. It landed accurately. You wrong me, Hook cried. I'm as brave as any. Lily, still being Smee, thrust one grimy hand over Hook's mouth. Enough yammering. Crew's sleeping sound and won't be coming to investigate anyways. They puffed up into a semblance of the pirate captain himself, wickedly exaggerating the leanness of his vulpine face, the dramatic slant of his brows. Break out the rum! Triple rations for every man jack of you! The roaring growl of the shapeshifter's delivery served as an excuse for their unhook-like sound. All hands accounted for, Wendy asked. We can just leave. No wonder Tink was back. What about them plans? After I brung you all the way here to ruin them, don't you wanna? Wendy looked over at Tink. No sign of jealousy. Was that why? I have a hard time imagining you couldn't have handled this on your own, Lily. Whoa there, stop that squirming about you. Lily clamped their arm around the throat of the original hook. He continued to struggle. Freeing one befrilled hand, he tugged at its copy. Let him talk, no harm in that. So you say. But Lily dropped their hand from the pirate's mouth and wiped it on the satin pantaloons he wore. Not on their own. Papers! Hook gasped. He bent forward as far as Lily's throttling arm let him, gulping for breath. Before you leave, sign what I've drawn up. I'll not bother you further. No pursuit. What you've drawn up? Wendy frowned. Your notes? Not those. Agreements. Dressing gown. Lower left pocket. Shifting her submachine gun so it nestled on her crooked right arm, Wendy felt for and found a folded square of stiff, foolscap sheets. She opened it one-handed, read the first page, and snorted in derision. When did you expect to trick me into going along with this? Show me, Tink demanded, moving to hover at her shoulder. Of course, the fairy couldn't read. Wendy pretended not to know that. Poor penmanship, and it's a very legalistic document. Shall I summarise? Basically, this assigns all rights to reproducing my likeness, ha, or 
any reminiscent renderings or associated memorabilia. That's vague enough. To Smee and Associates. You, I take it. She scowled at Hook, who left off his pitiful wheezing. For a consideration. The amount's left blank. And I've framed similar contracts for you pair as well. You could each of you name a tidy sum if you chose, and you'd be immortal to boot. Huh. So you say. A tidy sum of what? asked Lily. Tell us why we shouldn't simply slit your gizzard here and now and have done with you. Two words, simpered the captain with a flirt of his preternaturally long eyelashes. Peter and Pan. The Jolly Roger rocked. The empty bucket slid a small distance on the cabin's floor. The scraping sound it made filled a minute's silence. You must understand. Hook stepped away from Lily, who let him. I've inquired most minutely into the cause of your disagreement with your former beau, Miss Darling. You are going to die. The point being, I gather, at whose hands? Strutting over to the table, he lifted the black-labelled bottle and poured himself a generous amount of the remaining wine. Having bargained away the right to kill me yourself in exchange for Pan's acquiescence to the presence at your side of your lovely companions, and they having made like treaties, I believe you have no option left at this point except to join forces with me. Or sign. Here. Wendy held the SK out to the shapeshifter. What? But they took the gun. Just for a moment. Wendy gripped the unsigned contracts with both hands and tore them in half. Tore the halves again. Again. Opened her fingers and let the pieces flutter down to add to the sad mess of suds and red stains. The pleasure of killing you will be Peter's, ultimately, yes. But some lesser sweets we are entitled to claim for ourselves. Tink? Wendy undid the dressing gown and removed the sash. Take this and tie him. Lily gave the SK back to her and helped as well. Wendy drove fast. She tore through the new night like the screams of the man tied up in the Invictor's rear driver-side seat. Once they passed Skegness, Lily had gotten rid of Hook's gag. Who was there to hear him? At first, Tink and Lily added their delighted cries to his wordless yowling. But now they neared Boston. Too much noise would attract unwanted attention. Nor was Boston to be the only population centre on their way to the peaks. Wendy's companions would have to subdue their prisoner anew. She told them to do what was needed. A meaty slap resounded behind her, followed by loud snivels. Will you hush? Tink scolded. We've hardly done anything to you yet. The pirate subsided into low whimpers. Only a few cuts. No worse than you'd expect from shaving. Lily chuckled hoarsely, turning in the passenger seat to comment. It's his blood. You don't like to see how the stuff's so yellow. The shapeshifter had abandoned their sly parody of Hook's looks for the appearance of his nemesis, Peter. A little taller, a little heavier, a little swarthier about the cheeks. Though he wasn't exactly a grown-up, any more than the original, 
who would probably laugh heartily when he caught sight of Lily's impersonation. For that to happen, though, they had to reach him by takeoff. No being pulled aside by police officers for investigations of screaming passengers. And Hook's wails had once again resumed, rising in volume. Reluctantly, Wendy slowed the Invictor to an idling standstill on the A-52's bleak emptiness. Setting the brake, she swivelled in her seat to assess the situation by fairy light. Snot smeared the pirate's bare upper lip, which quivered unbecomingly. But at least he wept more quietly now they'd stopped. I hope he's grieving for his moustaches, Lily opined. They had been fine, decorative specimens of her suit masculinity, to be sure. Here, give him a hanky, the shapeshifter added, offering their own. The pirate's hands were bound by the dressing gown's sash. Tink took the used-looking wad of blue cambric with no sign of disgust and swiped it across Hook's face several times, sopping up most of the tears and mucus. Wendy smiled, encouragingly, she hoped. Perhaps gagging him again would be unnecessary. That's better, isn't it? Anything else before we get going again to find Peter? Before we... Hook's red lips hung apart wordlessly. A whine issued between them, building dangerously toward a shriek. What's got you so scared? This can't be the first time you've died. Lily's matter-of-fact tone of voice halted the pirates screeching mid-crescendo. You don't like seeing your blood spilled? Tink asked scornfully. Ask for a blindfold. Peter won't mind. Maybe it is his first time. Wendy bit her lip, recalling her fall from the empty sky to the hard surface of the ocean. Her aerial powers had vanished, with the fairy dust blown off in the wind of her passage between Britain and Neverland. She well remembered the fear, the bone-breaking pain, the frigid depths opening below, the shrinking circle of her conscious self. All the self she'd ever known. It's always the hardest. I suppose, Lily sounded doubtful. They died whenever they changed. Look here, Hook. Wendy took her hands off the steering wheel to grasp his shoulders. You lost. But you know we're nothing but stories, right? Our little life is rounded with a sleep. And then we wake up to be told again. When Peter kills you, you'll die, strictly speaking. You won't stay dead, though. As long as children are innocent and heartless, they'll play at being you. You'll die, but you'll never be dead for long. Trust me. Now, let's finish up this adventure right. You two take care of him if he gives so much as a peep. Wendy turned to face forward again, checked the fit of her leather racing gauntlets and gripped the wheel one-handed. Ignoring Hook's quickly smothered protests, she slipped the Invicta back in gear and headed straight on till morning. Missy Shaw is best known for writing fiction that deals with race, gender, and colonialism, so it's hardly surprising that they would put their own spin on Peter Pan, 
which famously touches on all these elements. I am a sucker for reinterpretations, reinventions of well-known tales, especially when they center the characters who've been sidelined or mm-hmm. othered in the original telling. Like yeah. this time it's Wendy is badass, Tiger Lily is shapeshifter, and all the gender shifting. It's right. so invigorating. I will say, despite the different ways Wendy, Tink, and Tiger Lily were shown to have changed over the years, it was reassuring and I thought very proper to see that Captain Hook was still the same pompous, overmannered, sniveling schemer everyone remembers. And the message that I take from that is those who fail to evolve always lose. He is the personification of the power structure, isn't he? Mm-hmm, Everyone mm-hmm. fights against yeah. the man, the monolith, who refuses to cede an inch without being forced to. Very well said. Well, Christina, at the risk of taking the ship metaphors too far, I think it's time we hoist anchor and shove off. So don't leave us high and dry. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know with a five-star review wherever you're listening to us right now. And do join us next time when a mysterious visitor from beyond the stars will suddenly arrive to stop a war and possibly fall in love while she's at it. Until then, second star to the right and pleasant nightmares. You're listening to Stories to Keep You Up at Night. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Stories to Keep You Up at Night, Episode 75, features She Tore by Nisi Shaw. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and Mary Asadolahi. Associate produced by Alexis Latshaw. And executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Marco Palmieri and Christina Telesca. Performed by Antonia Beamish. Audio produced by Amanda Rose Smith and Tidef Studios. Additional editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi. Featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Stories to Keep You Up at Night by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.